We're back. Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Yes! We named it! It's named. <laughs> it's official. Oh, God, I'm so happy. Yes. Oh, that's going to stick. I'm very happy with that. It's, it's a very, very good name. It is. 13 yes. episodes deep, and we're coming up with titles. <laughs> we're, we're ready for this. 13 chapters. We don't know the episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah but the, we're... <laughs> <laughs> Ten hours into this nonsense, and we're we're finally titling this bad boy. You guys are hearing the flowiness. From this, is us. A, this is a weird delayed title screen, but there you go. So Nathan, last time we mm-hmm. kind of talked about different ways besides just the working day that the capitalists would squeeze the most value out of you. Getting that surplus value, baby. Getting that surplus value. So now Marx is going to go into another way to kind of do it, but a way that's not necessarily unique to capitalism. Capitalism just has a unique brand of it. Mm -hmm. So chapter 13 is cooperation. Everybody getting along, making stuff better. Now, cooperation, Marx kind of drolls on a lot. I mean, it's a lot of... (laughs) <laughs> He's kind of back to the repeating uh-huh. things because he has to, but he makes a lot of good points. Uses some good examples. This is one of those chapters that you're going to thank us because we're going to distill it for you, and you're not going to yeah. have to read a bunch of nonsense like we did. Big you're time. welcome, person. Big time. But uh, Marx kind of says early on, he says, In each industry, each individual laborer, be, here, be he Peter or Paul, differs from the average laborer. These individual differences or errors, as they're called in mathematics, compensate for one another and vanish whenever they're in a certain number of workmen employed together. So whenever you get mm-hmm. a big enough number of people, average comes out. Every, so he, Everyone's he's, the same. Yeah, and he's kind of explaining something that was assumed way back in the beginning. You know, we talk about average congealed labor brings that value, right? Yep. And when you read it, he goes into that real hard. We kind of had to glaze over it for summation purposes, so it's not like we just said it. But here he's kind of chipping back at that. He's saying, hey, you know, I mean, you have a small enough group, right? There's a big difference between three lazy people and three hardworking people. But you get a million people, and the average value is going to be the average value, okay? And that's kind of the fun part is, yeah, the, the the number you have to fall on as to when that kicks in is kind of interesting. And this is another delightful, uh, delightful Marx burn. And I feel like that's my role here is to bring up Marx burns. Uh, but burning Edmund Burke, that famous <laughs> sophist and sycophant, <laughs> God, goes as far as to make the, assert, the famous assertion based on his practical observations as a farmer which you can just kind of, t- without the quote-unquote, the air quotes, Marx is really just po po poking at that phrase, but that in so small of a platoon as five farm laborers, all individual differences in labor vanish, and that consequently any given five adult farm laborers taken together will do as much work in the same time as any other five. And ladies and gentlemen, I cannot think of a better refuting statement to that than have you fucking seen the NBA lately? Because <laughs> I will fucking take the Golden State Warriors over literally any other five individuals on the planet right now for this. Bullshit, Edmund Burke. Bullshit. Yeah, but LeBron is... LeBron, LeBron counts as four dudes, yeah, and that's really real. Does. That's a thing, but it's not any five. He really does, but he keeps getting teamed up with four other guys that are less than one. The, I, it's really, yeah, yeah. You got to stop. We got rid of Jr. Smith. I do love. Have you seen all the names for the new, the new like? The, no. Instead of the, they're calling them the meme team instead oh, of the dream God. team, and it's so good. It's so good. I, I can't. I oh. thought it was bad when they were saying Lebronzo, but just, no, so no. Is is this? They are intentionally making a reality television show in Los Angeles now, and I'm all for it. I am. <laughs> I am all about it. It's it's good. It is good. Marks would be sad right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, Marks. So then he goes in and he says, From the point of view, however, of the capitalist who employs these 12 men, the working day is that of the whole dozen. So he talked about, you know, the individual labors and how many 
hours they do. He said, each individual man's day is an eloquent part of the collective working day. No matter whether the 12 men assist one another in their work or whether the connexation between their operations consists merely in the fact that they're all working for the same capitalist. Yep. So he's saying it doesn't matter if it's an assembly line or if there's 12 computer programmers that are just programming different things for the same dude um, or, you know, 12 waiters waiting tables. You know, it doesn't matter. They're all still interconnected. Okay. He said, if one workman required considerably more time for the production of a commodity than is socially necessary, the duration of the necessary labor time would, in his case, sensibly deviate from the labor time socially necessary on average, and consequently, his labor would not even count as average labor, nor his labor power as average labor power. It would either not be sellable at all, or only at something below the average value of labor power. So, wah, wah. Now, now these uh, libertarians who've been sitting there oh, for 12 geez. chapters just creaming their pants about, <laughs> what about lazy people? What about lazy people? Not everybody's the same. Right? Marx is going, yeah, you know, if that was the case, they just wouldn't get hired. Yeah. I mean, come on No, now. but you can use... No, well, they, an idiot would not think that. You can go the fun Milton Friedman round and go, no, it's... it's uh, The minimum fun. wage is, is cruel because it keeps oh. these poor black boys from being able to be employed at below the market value. Oh. So they just go unemployed. Oh, damn Democrats and their... Their bad and good intentions going mislaid. We should be able to pay people a quarter. I usually love your sarcasm, but the fun Milton Friedman route just hurts mm, my insides. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm dead inside. You're all going to be with me. <laughs> so then he goes on. The inequalities would become compensated for the society at large, but not for the individual masters. Thus, the laws of production value are only fully realized for the individual producer when he produces as a capitalist and employs a number of workmen together whose labor by its collective nature is at once stamped as average social labor. So basically, if you're you know, in, in small groups or individuals or you're working with a partner or something like that, the only way this, this system works the right way is if you're employing enough people to completely squash out variability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're saying like, hey, you know, I'm going to get my buddy and we're going to start a, a food truck together mm -hmm. and there's, there's four of us, right? Well, if one of you is lazy, it's going to throw shit haywire. And we're also not capitalists at that point. Yeah, according also, to this definition, yeah. according to what we're working with here. Yeah, because, I mean, you're essentially a gilder, right? Yep. And Marx will go into how that's petty bourgeois yeah. and you have capitalist class interest leanings, but you're really not a capitalist, no. okay? You're ready to fall into proletariat at a moment's notice. You're not doing the work of the capitalist. You're just using a niche in the system to, to kind of sputter by. Yep. But... It's grow or, or be grown on. You yep. know, I mean, you're going to get thrown in being petty bourgeois or uh, proletariat if you keep up this petty bourgeois stuff for too long. Yep. Okay. Um, but what a capitalist is, is it's someone that's going to say, hey, I have the means of production. They're mine. Okay. So I'm going to take a bunch of you that don't have it, that need it to do your job. And instead of saying, hey, I'm withholding this from you. Now give me some of your salary because I'm richer than you. They're going to go, hey. I have what you need to do your job, and I'm going to pay you so kindly. This <sighs> sniveling, twisting their mustache, oh, so nice. And then the average labor power, as long as it's not saleable, or not, not saleable, as long as it's above that, you know, someone worth hiring, and they'll fire you if it's I not. I was about to say, they'll rectify that problem right quick. Yeah. Hurry. Uh, they're going to start sucking off your, your labor power at, you know, the average labor uh, power value. Okay, and they're going to suck off your labor. 
Uh, a little farther below, he goes into, Moreover, this character of being necessary conditions of social labor, a character that distinguishes them from the dispersed and relatively more costly means of production of isolated, independent laborers or small masters, is acquired even when the numerous workmen assembled together don't assist one another, but merely work side by side. A portion of the instruments of labor acquires a social character before the labor process itself does so. So what he's saying is, like, these big capitalists, they're buying in bulk. <laughs> oh, God, it's the Costco of capitalism, guys. It's Costco of capitalism. But it's not just buying in bulk. It's being able to buy, you know, one thing and then reuse it a bunch, you yeah. know. I mean, so just simply from the fact that you're employing 50 people instead of five because you can afford it, you're getting more efficiency just out of the fact that that's 50 people instead of five because there's something where you're going to be able to save and get all one thing. Okay. Um, somewhere you're going to be able to reuse the pans, reuse some of that constant capital, maybe find, you know, some, some bulk savings on the constant capital from some supply and demand variance. Whatever it is, you're going to be able to get more relative surplus value just on size. And that kind of goes back to the last chapter where yeah, yep. they really want to cut the amount of people working, but they don't want to cut the amount of people working. They want to cut the amount they're paying for work. They still want to employ as many people as possible. Yep. You know, they, they don't want to employ five people instead of a hundred and make the same amount of money. They want to employ a hundred people instead of a hundred and make more money. Yep. But if they can employ 10 people and make more money instead of a hundred, they'll gladly do it. Voila, layoffs and mergers. Yay! Yay! So then on down, he says, just as the offensive power of a squadron of cavalry or the defensive power of a regiment... <laughs> it's not a callback. Uh, I was about podcast. to say, wait a minute. They're crossing the streets! Crossing the streets! <laughs> or defensive power regiment of infantry is essentially different from the sum of the offensive or defensive powers of individual cavalry or infantry soldiers taken separately... So are the sum of the total mechanical forces exerted by isolated workmen differs from the social force developed. When many hands take part simultaneously one in the same undivided operation, such as raising a heavy weight or turning a winch or removing an obstacle. So he's saying, you know, many hands make light work. Yeah, uh, okay. it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> straightforward and it's something that I don't think, that, again, this is anything that anyone's like, questioning you kind of intuitively know this if you've ever done work in any capacity at yeah. all i mean this is something so obvious that you know capitalists will openly admit it in, in you know inspirational work harder poster you know many hands make light work <laughs> right i mean this it's, hang on kitty yeah it's 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 very very true it's also kind of an interesting thing that he immediately brings up armies being more numerous here because that's something that some other marxists will play on with like hey you know their class may have better weapons but every revolution happens with worse weaponries. There's just more of us. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll, 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 we'll pop that vein oh, later. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. He says, apart from the new power that arises from the fusion of many forces into one single force, mere social contact begets in most industries an emulation and a stimulation of the animal spirits that heighten the efficiency of each individual workman. And this is also something that you definitely know if you've been in any place where there's any even if it's not directly competitive people yeah. are competitive you put two people next to each other no matter what you're doing and certain part of you is gonna in most instances go I want to make more widgets than the guy next to me I'm gonna out widget that motherfucker here I go not again 
It's not like you get something extra for that. You've just made more widgets for Captain Capitalist, but you don't know that, and he gets to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of anti-union people who make the, oh, take your anti-union coffee break jokes, but it's a good damn thing unions do that. And even with that, even in those unions, you're still going to get competitive. You're still going to drive on each other. Uh, You're also going to learn from each other, learn ticks of the trade. I can't talk today. Nah, nah, it's unimportant. Tricks of the trade, little hacks, things like that, you know. Um, And so you're going to pick up other skills from other people talking. Talking, you know, what we do, training, all that stuff. So working yep. as a group is always going to make you better. better, faster as an individual, plus you're adding the group efficiency. Yep. Uh, he's going to blather on a few more pages. Yeah, he really did blather. He got into some Aristotle bullshit, and we all know that's bold. Mm, yeah. Not fun. But then he goes, when the laborer cooperates systemically with others, he strips off the fetters of his individuality and develops the capability of his species. Yeah. Now, that's one part serious, because humans are social creatures, and one part normal Marx sarcasm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you get to strip off being a complete social human being, and you get to be the cog in the wheel you were born to be, buddy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. It's sad, but it's it's very it's, accurate. It's, yeah, it's incredibly true. Very accurate. So then he says, the payment of 300 workmen at once, though for only one day, requires a great outlay of capital greater outlay of capital than is the payment of a smaller number of men week by week or during the whole year. Hence, the number of laborers that cooperate or the scale of cooperation depends in the first instance on the amount of capital that the individual capitalist can spare for purchase of labor power. In other words, on the extent which a single capitalist has command over the means of subsistence of a bunch of laborers. And the second part of that, that in other words, I think is really key too. Yeah. That's why there's got to be unemployed people. That's why they got to keep yep. you poor. If they don't have control of your means of subsistence, they can be as rich as they want. Yep. Right? You you have to be begging for it. There has to be poor people for capitalism to work. Because if everyone is in, if we're at full employment, everyone has a job and everyone's happy, then suddenly there's a scarcity of us and then we have some power in that negotiation and that that just yeah. won't do. Yeah, and that that happens. I mean, that's why the capitalists are sitting there like overpopulation on this racist crap about <laughs> Africa, but then all of a sudden they're going, nobody's having kids this yeah, day in the United oh. States where per person we consume 30 times as much carbon and plastics and all that. So, uh He goes on a little bit later to say, we saw in a former chapter that a certain minimum amount of capital was necessary in order that the number of laborers simultaneously employed and consequently the amount of surplus value produced might suffice to liberate the employer himself from manual labor and convert him from a small master, you know, the guys that were just cooperating Uh together, into the capitalist and thus formally establish capitalist production. And that's the, we talked about that. That's, there's a tipping point and there's a, there's a, it's kind Mm -hmm. of a, of all the scientific very exactitudes that Marx will get into. This is not the exactiest, but it's kind of a, I know it when I see it sort of thing. There is a difference between someone that is able to, that works alongside his people, be, I don't need for propaganda value or because he has to, and someone that literally takes his hand off the wheel and the place runs itself and you just sit at home and, and rake in your profits at that point. Yeah, I mean, there's a big difference between a food truck Mm-hmm. Uh, a tool shop guy that really owns Juno's Capitalist exploiting you, but he'll sit there and work on the tools next to you and yep. kind of make you feel better about it, even though it's bullshit. And Jeff freaking Bezos. <laughs> you know, I mean, those are three different things. And Marx they, they is like, duh, of course. They are indeed. Yeah. And he says, we now see that a certain minimum amount is necessary condition for the conversion of numerous isolated and independent processes into one combined social process. We also saw at first the subjection of labor to capital was only a formal result of the fact that the laborer, instead of working for himself, works for and consequently under the capitalist. But by cooperation of numerous, 
numerous wage laborers, the sway of capital develops into a requisite for carrying on the labor power itself into a real requisite of production. That capital should command the field of production is now as indispensable that a general should command his field of battle. So he's saying, you know, at this point, and this is talking about alienation of labor, okay? Yeah. You know, used to be you maybe were a watchmaker and you would make a whole watch. Well, now that you have, he has so many people employed, so to bring up efficiency, everybody does this little tick. You know, I do this gear, I do this yep. twist, I do this. In fact, the next chapter, he'll he'll have a whole paragraph of all the pieces that go yep. to a watch. Yep. We're not going to read mind. those to you because no. you're welcome. That's why you're here. God, no, we're not. But anyway, um, you know, you have all these pieces. Well, now all these people aren't trained to do the whole watch. Yep. You know, I run in this computer programmer. I don't know how to do networking shit. Yep. <laughs> to, yep. You know, troubleshooting, I, I know about as much as to handle my own stuff so that people don't go, oh, the IT guys are idiots, uh-huh. you know. And I do. I think everybody in any 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 capacity of work kind of deals with this. And you see it more and more. You know, you have specialized. You have your sales people and then you have your operations people and both sides bitch about the other side because they don't, both sides don't understand the full picture. And it's almost like that's intentional so that you don't have any kind of cooperation in that. And there's that friction that yeah. seems to drive so, everybody. So the capitalist makes that necessary. So now not only is he necessary because withholding the means of production, now he's necessary because you couldn't make this without me. So he's gaining more social power, okay, for absolutely nothing other than being rich. Yep. Um, and this chapter is also going to get into now he's going to need a special type of laborer to do that. Oh, oh, a special labor, uh, like a robot yeah. labor? Yeah, okay, robot. Uh, more like a, a man that tells you how to do your job in place of the capitalist and when to do your job and what to do. Oh, Maybe good. a few layers. It's almost like bureaucracy. Can't say the word bureaucracy. I can't the talk today. The assistant to the regional manager. Yes. the the Yeah, the kind of guys that, that get so bad they, they wind up in intensive care and whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Know, those layers of bureaucracy, you know, I, I mean, capitalists, especially the libertarian douchebag kinds, they love, bureaucracy ruins everything. Got to get the government out. Bureaucracy, 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 bureaucracy. It's like capitalism causes that. And yeah. this is exactly how. Yeah. You know, this is now how they think. I'm a mitigator. I tell you to go here and you go here and you go here and you go here. I'm a general. I have to do that. Now we need that for everything. Delegate. You know? Delegate, delegate, delegate. Um, and then he goes on his cooperation. Ex- oh, no, that, that was the manager part. Yep, we skipped that. I, I skipped that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, he was also talking about how ancient societies would use cooperation. Yes. They just weren't the nature of capitalism. Yep. So he was talking about Asiatic and Egyptian kings, Etruscan theocrats, and even modern society, uh, and what's been transferred to the capitalist in, with in-stock companies and a collective is this simple cooperation of gigantic structures. Yep. Okay. And this is the fun part, and I think this is where it, and it, it's not, I don't know if this is exactly the same thing or if this just peeved me the right way, but I, am I the only one that gets like wildly, wildly kind of angry when people start saying that the only way you could have built these grand fun sculptures back in the ancient times is aliens? <laughs> because we just can't conceive of the concept of people that weren't white dudes with cranes building things. Like, it just boggles the mind, like what you... what. 
what's incredible and the reason it took so much people think like well there's no way slaves did this because the slaves didn't do that no. the slaves were sitting there making their food and beckoning and mm-hmm. washing their feet and shit it was the regular everyday Egyptians going up Labors. and making the pyramids it was a point of pride yeah they loved that shit yeah that was the thing and they were yeah. very good at it and it's amazing how you could pull that off yeah so the quote I was going to pull out and uh, he said it has happened in times past these oriental states after supplying the expenses of their civil and military establishments have found themselves in the possession of surplus which they could apply to works of magnificent magnificence or utility in the construction of these or command over the hands and arms of almost the entire non-agricultural non-agricultural population mm-hmm. has produced stupendous monuments that still indicate their power the teeming valley of the nile produced food for swarming non-agricultural population and this food belonging to the monarch and the priesthood afforded the means of erecting mighty monuments which filled the land um, so he was talking about how you know, you have this cooperation, now you're going to have surplus, okay? Mm-hmm. And capitalism creates a surplus, but that surplus isn't put to good use to stow away for the winter later or make sure they're having quality. You know, this poverty is a necessary tool of, of capitalism. So what are they going to do with all the surplus? Well, they're going to start making this cooperation on a class level. They're going to start working together. And I love that he brings in stockholders for this because yeah. this is really what stock is. Stock is American monuments. This is our pyramid bullshit is what the New York Stock Exchange is. But instead of our pyramid being something that will last, that 2,000 years from now, people will go, wow, it's incredible that humans did that. It's just money making more money. Yeah. And it's kind of, it, it goes back to the, we, we talked about it, I don't know if it was last week or, or how long ago it would have been at this point, but the 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 constant pointing of what you can tell kind of where a society values, because, you know, in, in, in our capitalist societies, we see a lot of, we pride ourselves on these innovations and these, you know, where... By the nature of the system we've created, we are we are showing where we what we value, and what we value is gadgets and things and 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 frivolity and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas it's in commodities, some, it's, it's commodities. commodities. It's purely commodities. Whereas you look at some of the more socialist societies, and you see much heavier investment in healthcare, healthcare, liter- things that are not necessarily tangible that don't make anyone a profit, but. Whoa! Look at that invest. What that investment infrastructure, things like that that are not sexy, mm-hmm. that do not have this return on capital, but that that, that leads to a fundamentally sound society for everybody. And uh, and yeah, and this is again getting to the heart of it. You know, you saw these. You know, there was no there was no capitalism going on in ancient Egypt. And again, there's a whole bunch of. I'm not pointing to ancient Egypt as some sort of you know great model society, <laughs> but shit. You know, you can get stuff done without capitalism. You don't need it to to, to survive. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to move on to chapter 14. Uh-huh. Uh, and chapter 14 I have a little trouble detailing the beginning because it's just so droll. It's, yeah, this is one of the... <laughs> g- g- short, too long I didn't read. Chapter 14. Machines. They cool. They do stuff. Machines <laughs> are useful. But we, we do get to section two, and I feel a little bit better about it. Yes, that... It, Yes. So in section two, he says, detail labor and implements. If now we go more into detail, it is, in the first place, clear that the laborer who all of his life now performs one and the same simple operation converts his whole body into the automatic specialized complement implement of the operation. Consequently, he takes less time in doing it than the artificer who performs a whole series of operations in succession. But the collective labor who con- constitutes the living mechanism of manufacture is made up solely of such specialized detail laborers. So he's saying, th- th- the watch thing I was bringing up earlier, yeah. you know, these guys aren't going to know how to make a whole watch, yeah. but they're going to do it much more efficiently. And remember, 
you know, you're passing on value. Price is a representation of value. So there's going to be less value per watch than these watches the capitalist makes. But they're making profit off this because they've made the workers more efficient. So they're going to undercut. So now if you get a specialty watch, you've got to go and pay more. You've got to be rich to get one skilled watchmaker to make you a special yeah. watch. Otherwise, you get what comes off the assembly line. And, and it takes, again, it's that alienation. It takes the ability. You become, at that point, a... a you no longer have a, a skill that you could take to the market and, and market. A watchmaker is a trade. It's a thing you could do regardless of whether anyone else had it. You can produce the product and bring it to market yourself. Whereas people that are making the watches for capitalists in this efficient manner, all they have is labor power. They are wage laborers. They, are there, they show up and they are dependent on somebody giving them their point in the assembly line to, to put the widget on the thing. Or, or there's nothing else. They have no tangible. How do you? How do you say I? You you can't have pride in that. You can't. It's not something you can tangibly show results from. It's the only thing that comes out of it is the paycheck you get at the end of the week. Yeah. There's a reason that. And again, you know, mental illness is always a, mis a mix of chemical pieces inside your brain. But a lot of those are natural, even even if they're out of balance. And most of the time, you can have mental illness with the imbalance. Yep. And exterior, you know, uh, influences that can trigger the the uh, chemical imbalances or cause you just your own, you know, neurotic issues, too. Yeah. And there's a reason America has 25% mental illness rate, Jeez. which is off the charts. And some of that obviously... Because we're alienated completely. Also, also, we found a way to monetize illness in a Yeah, that's way. true. But other countries that, haven't found a way to do Some of that might be overdiagnosed, but some of that yeah, is know, a lot of it underdiagnosed. Is, no, exactly. And I think a lot of that is... is that that was a fun that was glib but no that is it is it is definitely our, our we've we've created a unique dis, a, a unique just factory of sadness in this country that if you were if you're chugging along happily i would be worried about you like yeah. then we have a bigger problem and so that's important you know i mean alienation of labor and, and marx goes into this i don't remember if this was in capital or if this was in a different work it was in one of the early chapters it was and we already talked about it and my brain blew past it but he talks about like man is designed for for work labor is the essence of man yeah Okay, you're supposed to connect with your labor. You're supposed to feel it. It's fulfilling. And you think about that, right? People have hobbies, you know. Yeah. I go out and maybe I make model airplanes or I do gardening mm -hmm. in my backyard and I like it. I enjoy it. It's fulfilling. All work's supposed to be like that. You don't actually hate work. You hate going to, to some job that you have to do to make someone else money that you don't give a shit about and them just droning in your ear how you're not making enough money for them and then worrying at every second about being fired from that so you don't get to eat. That's what you hate. It's not actual work that you hate. Yeah. It's that work. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's bringing up alienation a lot. A lot. Um, he also says, but since there's always several generations of labor living at one time and working together at the manufacture of a given article, the technical skill, the tricks of the trade acquired, become established and are accumulated and handed down. Training the new guys. Mm -hmm. You know, you become a trainer or a boss or you just are the old guy and you train the new guys that came along, but the new guys are always coming in and being trained. And now it's important to tie those two together because remember, capitalists are trying to shake out that specialization. Yeah. Because that's that's lost money for them, okay? When you're an artisan and you can compete with them, you know, if if they can't make it somewhere where there's no specialization for it, they have to pay more for your labor. It's going to have its full value, yeah. okay, for your labor power. Um, I run into that as a programmer. There's a reason they're going, teach kids to code. It's not modernizing and keeping no. schools updated. It's booting out important stuff like history and art so that they can make programming cheaper down the road because they're obsessed with programming. 
Um, that's why Silicon Valley's out there, and they're making gadgets and gasmos. And right now, they're making everything just to undercut unions because that's what's in front of their face. <laughs> yeah, they're doing you a know? Good job of it too. Right? Uber is just to undercut oh, taxi unions. Fuck. There's buses to undercut. You know, bus driver unions. They're just undercutting public services and unions as much as they can. But once they're drilled out of that, they're going to get right back to why they're so obsessed with tech in the first place. And they're just going to try to make all these skill jobs not need skill. You know, these medical innovations, we should be worried about them saving lives. But they don't save lives when no one can afford health care. But they sure as shit make nurses cheaper. Yeah, buddy. You know, I mean, it's it's disgusting. The things should, we should be ecstatic about of human innovation making our lives better. Now we're scared of because they're, they're cutting out our, our food from our table. Yeah. But, and you're seeing it, I mean, you see it all in all. It's it's more, you know, the labor in this country, and again, this is not directly related, but, you know, when jobs are lost in this country right now, we have our, our, our fun, fun president has done a very good job of making us fear every other country in the world is the reason we don't, you know, your job's going to go away. End of the day, technology improvements are what, and I'm not a Luddite. I'm obsessed with technology. I love it. I, oh, I, yeah. I do I'm this a computer program. I do, yeah, about to, I do this for everything else. But, <laughs> but to say that you're afraid that, that an a immigrant is going to take your job as opposed to, no, they're going to innov- they're going to find a way to make your job redundant and get rid of you because they can find a way to do it cheaper. The cheaper is not always exporting the labor and it's not commonly exporting the labor. Automation and technological innovation is what has driven jobs out of this country more than anything else recently. And again, that's not to make our lives better. It is to make a small group of people more money. Yeah, and, that is and, the goal. And that's hard to, to explain because technology does make your life better. Even, absolutely. Even on accident. You know? And that's not a thing. I, again, I am not but advocating lack tech- of technology yeah. at all. Right. But just acknowledge that capitalism by its nature has to do that. When you say, oh, well, look, at you know, Russia didn't have all these innovations. You know, look, we had just outproduced them in our genes and all of our all of our culture. They just wanted us about that's all this co- system does. It has to innovate. If you're not coming up with an innovation, again, back to 13, tie this together, or 12. If you're not getting that edge to create that surplus value, you're not getting ahead of your competition, and that's all this system is designed for. So the next Zuckerberg to be... Again, you see with Walmart and Amazon, Walmart came in, pushed everybody out, and was the big evil. And now there's some sort of underdog to Amazon? Like, they're the, they're the feel-good little guy? What the fuck are we doing? How blind, how short-sighted is, are we? Like, as Scrappy, guys, upstart Walton family. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. Like, this is... A, they're constantly going to do that because there has to be. The system it requires it to happen and that is by its nature going to lead to the work and this is where people get angry and, and well but the, everyone's like when they're not being exploited look at all the better stuff we have things have always gotten better it's a natural driver pro- the system will always eventually trickle down to the last person and do not take that as some to finish that's not how trickle down economics works it's just a fucking word if you can produce enough shit at enough scale if you don't sell it to the working class, eventually you're just not going to make money. And well, the problem is when that comes, now it's going to be a social cost. We talked about yep. the social necessary subsistence, which you have to pay workers. So now that's going to be a social necessity, and it's going to be that much harder for poor people to afford. So now yep. you're deciding between a phone and food, but you're really deciding between a food and food because that cell phone is how the shit you're going to get a job. It's how the shit you're going to apply for your paperwork and keep up with your, yeah. you know, hey, you need to go turn this stuff in. So all of a sudden it becomes a necessity. So all these great innovations 
Now all of a sudden are a requirement for survival, it not becomes, a luxury. It changes the base level. Yeah. It changes the base level of what it requires to subsist in this economy, and it never is going to slow down. It's not going to get. It's not getting easier. We're getting cheaper widgets because we're importing those widgets and exploiting somebody else's labor because we found a new niche, and eventually they'll run out of that, and oh, it's going to get fun then. And but, the capitalists love going, oh, they got these iPhones. Why the hell can't they eat? And it's like that's a five hundred dollar phone that's not going to feed me for a year. No, and it's a five hundred dollar <laughs> phone that you convinced me to get for nothing because you've locked me into some sort of contract that sub that you know keeps me perpetually running and, on the wheel and I needed, pay you. And I needed to get the job. You're screaming about me not trying hard enough to get. Yeah. It's insane. And, you know, and again, and I got to now value that over a place where I can take a shower. Yeah. And man, it'd be great, man. It's a good thing that we have these public libraries where people can go and u- utilize some of this local technology. The, 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 oh no, Amazon's going to no come run libraries now, oh, guys. God. No, it's going to save us money on the taxpayers because oh, just fuck everything. If you can, yeah, that hurt. That hurt to read. That's yeah. It just made me blindly angry. But like, pay attention. All of this stuff <laughs> ties together. Yeah. So now he's going to talk about the different types of manufacturers. Some of this is kind of dated. He talks about like gra- glass furnaces and all that stuff. Yeah. But one quote I wanted to pull out of there. He said, the organization of each group is based on the division of labor, not division of labor, but the bond between the different groups is simple cooperation, which is by using in common one of the means of production, the furnace, it causes it to be more economically consumed. So that is him underscoring what we mentioned earlier where, hey, you know, you have more workers, and just on the, the fact that you have more workers, they don't have to take all these steps and be an assembly line mm-hmm. or, you know, find this this bulk Costco business thing. They just have to have one thing they can share yep. because you're going to reuse it, you know. Um, that's something where you work in a restaurant, right? They're going to have dishes that takes you four hours to make, and they'll bring out in 15 minutes because they can spend three hours prepping it, and then they know they're going to sell it, and they'll set it up. You know, that's something I, I dealt with, you know, working in, in a restaurant, how they had to do appetizers. You know, you yep. have spinach artichoke dip. You're going to mix it all up and stick it in a tub at the end of the day, and then you're going to shove it in a little ceramic bowl and nuke it and send it out <laughs> with some toasted pitas. Now, all of a sudden, something that takes you 20 minutes to make at home is... Bam! It's Ready? done in one minute. As soon as you get your order in. Yeah. If you ever get like ribs at a restaurant, and then you like have a real person come over and make ribs at your house, and you're like, "Wow, I wonder how they did that in five hours." But I can get it at ten minutes at Chili's. Just don't think about that too hard because it'll, yeah. it'll make you very but, sad. But you remember, won't. just just cooking those ribs, you're not gonna be able to stay in business nope. because you're gonna have to charge more. Yeah. Nope. So. Uh, then he goes down a little bit and says, Since the collective power has functions, both simple and complex, both high and low, his members, the individual laborers, require different degrees of training, must therefore have different values. Manufacture, therefore, develops a hierarchy of labor powers to which there's a scale of wages. If on the one hand the individual laborers are appropriated and annexed for the life by limited function, on the other hand the various operations of hierarchy are parceled out among the laborers according to both their natural and their acquired capabilities. Every process of production, however, requires a certain simple manipulation, which every man is capable of doing. They too now are severed from their connexation with the more pregnant moments of activity and ossified in exclusive functions of specially appointed laborers. Hence, manufacture begets in every handicraft that it seizes upon a class of so-called unskilled laborers, a class which handicraft industry is strictly excluded. So no one employs all skill. So remember, you know, value is congealed value. I mean, Marx was right to understand the entire economy of that. 
but just like supply and demand can still vary on an individual basis. You know, on an individual basis, congealed value is what's going to give these guys value, but there's going to be value to skill. You know, that training is going to come in and it's going to make your labor more valuable yeah. with that skill. But the skill is going to deride down. There has to be some unskilled work. You know, you can't just be a pure artisan owner of capitalist. You know, you're, you're going to have to pay too much for the labor and not make margin. They're making their variable um, capital off that unskilled labor, not really off the skilled labor. They're making some or they wouldn't employ it. Yeah. They're really making off you the You got one labor. Johnny Ives... Yeah. And then you got a billion freaking people over in China that are putting together the actual phone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the hamburger and fries of fast food, right? You yeah. know, I mean, everybody thinks of the hamburger, and they're making like 20 cents off that. But then you're paying a dollar fifty for fries that cost them like three cents to make each. And mm. that, that's their big money, or the drink, you know? That's the drink. Oh, that's it's the all drink. The, it's drink. the drink. Oh, it's yeah. the drink. So, you know, I mean, the unskilled labor, that's that fries and drink. That's what it is. You know, so you can say, oh, well, you got to do doctors and you got to pay people more. And, do, do, and obviously, you want to be skilled labor. You want to be that burger. You yeah. want to be the headlining menu guy. But they're going to try to make those guys go away anyway. Yeah. And they're making their money off those drinks and fries, and that's necessary. Um, then he's going to get into section four the division of labor manufacturer in society. So now he's going to talk about well, division of labor was something that happened before capitalism. Capitalism is going to alienate you because you're not seeing the end of the labor and he's making these managers possible because it's not your vision or a collective vision that's going on you know it's going to make these because it's one guy's vision these managers necessary but division of labor already existed and capitalists abuse that too yeah. so you say within a family and after further developed within a tribe there springs up naturally a division of labor caused by the differences of sex and age a division that is consequently based purely on physiological foundation, which division enlarges its materials by the expansion of the community and the increase of population, and more especially by the conflicts between different tribes and the subjugation of one tribe to another. Yeah, this part kind of sounds kind of... This is one of those... There's not a whole lot of them, but there's some. This is one of those things that I don't really enjoy. Like I, I kind of feel like... <laughs> This is one of the more unwoke Marxy things. Like I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a little dated. He said it's you know, a like little dated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. There's a lot of. Well, you naturally designate based on the roles you have. Damn it! And I don't. It, I, I think we. I think and and if we're taking this forward, it's just one of those chapters that I don't want someone to go like. Well, you think that? No, no. Disagree. Disagree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unnecessary. Marx was from Europe. So Marx was from Europe. His yes. Colonial family construct is uh, is natural. To he him. gets it, and that's fine. But that's this. You can strike this entire section and not throw baby out with the bathwater. So just don't don't get yeah. carried away on that, people. Yeah. But what he's really trying to say is that you know, long standing, there's been division labor at home. Yes. You deal with it every day. You yeah. know, your family's going to do different things. You have different chores, roles. Yeah. Things. Like I that. mow the yard. My wife does the laundry. We have divided our labor. Yeah, exactly. And he says where that really shines in is when you have power over someone else. And capitalism isn't where power of someone else started. It's just the most grotesque, hidden way to do it. Because, like, every other system has made it obvious. You know, I conquer your nation. Mm -hmm. We're in charge of you. And that's where he brings up the tribes. You know, you know who it is, right? Yeah. So he's saying, yeah, I mean, there's a natural division of labor. But it gets really efficient when you don't care about the other person. And <laughs> when you don't observe, when you don't appear that you're... Uh, subjugating the other person when that subjugation is yeah. hidden in these 14 layers of free market exchange, I'm giving you a job, this is all beneficial for both of us, bullshit. <laughs> so then he goes, exchange does not create differences between spheres of production, but brings what are already different into relation and thus converts them in more or less interdependent branches of a collection of production of an enlarged society. 
So he's saying, you know, China wasn't different from, you know, let's say Germany um, because of trade. Yep. You know, China had silk yep. and Germany had um, peppers or Racism? Whatever. Racism, I don't know. <laughs> Something came out of Europe. We always talk about what Europe gets because we get this chauvinistic history. Yeah. Whatever they traded out. Yeah. I don't even remember anymore. I, uh, long coats, we'll nationalism? say. Nationalism? It's hard. God, long coats. We're going with long the coats. The Ruhr Valley? I don't know. And, and they would trade that. And then all of a sudden they become dependent because now, you know, silk's going to need to be socially necessary. You know, um, people are going to preserve food with peppers and salts and those are going to be socially necessary. And so spices are, are going to become a dependency. So these societies aren't different because of of uh, this dependency they were already different but now they've gained this dependency from exchange okay and and of course you know capitalists are going to seize on that and atomize it down within society yeah, keep going keep going keep going in one case uh, making dependent on what was before the independent in another case making independent what was before dependent so you know I mean Marx really loves these contradictions he's yeah. dialectical big time dialectical and so he's talking about that exchange being a contradiction. Um, that's all I really care about in Section 4. Yeah. It's a lot of garble. It's a lot of I garble. mean, it matters. It matters. I'm really not doing this chapter justice, but uh, if, we're, 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 we're trying to get into the points of Marx, and there's some more important yeah. stuff in Section 5. And, and yeah, and you can, yeah, that's, yes. Okay. So Section 5 is, is the big juicy one, I think, in this chapter, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's the capitalist character of manufacture. And so he's going to come down. He's going to say, a manufacturer, in order to make the collective labor and through him capital rich in social productive power, each laborer must be made poor in individual productive powers. Ignorance is the mother of industry as well as the superstition. Reflection and fancy are subject to air, but habit of moving hand or foot is independent of either. Manufacturers accordingly prosper most where the mind is least consulted and where the workshop may be considered an engine and the parts which are considered men. So, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they just want you to be that's, a cog in their yeah, machine. That's, yep. God. <laughs> Conti continues on. As a matter of fact, some few manufacturers in the middle of the 18th century preferred for certain operations that there were trade secrets to employ half-idiotic persons. Yep. The understandings of the greater part of men, says Adam Smith. And by the way, I, that's the other thing I skipped over. There's a lot of Adam Smith bashing this mm -hmm. chapter. And Adam Smith deserves he, Oh, every bit of it. But it's, it almost feels like low-hanging fruit at this point. Yeah. Um, I'd rather stick with the Ricardo bashing because there's some more substance in those. Yeah, because Ricardo actually <laughs> has valid like concepts. And, right. Like, I mean, Ricardo like starts a good idea. He just stumbles when like it's plugged into reality. Yeah. Adam Smith was just a dumbass. He was just observing what was <laughs> happening. Going, Look, it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think Marx, the only compliment he ever uh, gave Adam Smith is he thought Adam Smith had genuinely had a good heart. He just wasn't smart enough to actually like, <laughs> Oh, know good. The, the good intention moron. <laughs> Yay! So he said, the understanding of the greater part of men, says Adam Smith, are necessarily formed in their ordinary employments. The man whose whole life is spent in performing a few simple operations has no occasion to exert his understanding. He generally becomes as stupid and ignorant as it is possible for the human creature to become. And after yep. that, he says, after describing the stupidity and the detail of the labor, he, Adam Smith goes on, 
The uniformity of his stationary life naturally corrupts the courage of his mind. It corrupts even the activity of his body and renders him incapable of exerting his strength with vigor and perseverance in any other employment than that to which he's been bred. His dexterity at his own particular trade seems to be this manner to be acquired at the expense of his intellectual, social, and martial values. But in every improved and civilized society, this is the state into which laboring poor, that is the great body of the people, must necessarily fall. And that's... of there are a lot of of big big moments in Marx where I think it brings a lot of stuff together. For me, that was one of the bigger passages that we've gotten to thus far because that is, I think you can extrapolate that out pretty far. Right. If you think about that, if yeah. you really sit down and think, hold on a second. So wait. All right. So. Think of people that have these sorts of jobs that are stuck in these jobs where you're you're in a factory, or you're doing a repetitive task over and over and over again. It, it you have to break yourself of some level of intellectual curiosity to do that. If your brain, if you were if you were a person, if you were inquisitive, if you wanted to learn, if you wanted to do something different, if you wanted to expand, you're you would fight that with every fiber of your being. The only way to do that long term is to turn that part of your brain off and disconnect that. And that has effects outside of just your work. That makes you a lot... You're, you're, you're going to be less intellectually curious. You're going to pursue things less. Something that you're going to realize, too, is when we say this, these working pe- class people aren't actually dumber no. than anybody else. No. They have every bit of the brain capacity. Yes. And that's the beauty when you start reading theory. You know, you talk about, like, the, the, the poor uneducated black people in Jim Crow South. You know, I mean, everybody like that, you know, these, you're not dumber if you're poorer. You're just taught not to use your intelligence because you're just droning on for your own sanity. And because, yeah, why would you do that? What sort of, what sort of masochist would say, you, you know, hey, you're, you know what you're bound to do at this point? You're going to work in a factory 10 hours a day for 40 years until you, let's drive the intellectual curious, you, anything to numb that up and and turn that off would be it would be criminal to do anything else at that point and it's and that that's the exact point of all this theory that we're doing too yeah because what really happens is Marx and Lenin these philosophers they sit down and so many philosophers are wealthy and well off and they don't care and they just blather on with this you know idealist nonsense but Marx and Lenin actually like understand this stuff and Mao and all that they understand this stuff at a root level Yep. Okay. And what they're doing is they're taking these thoughts that you know good and well from everyday experience, but you're not thinking through because you're in this mode of working and they're pointing it out and you're going, oh, duh. Mm -hmm. And they're writing entire books of, oh, duh. Okay, we should do this. And there's a reason it becomes so easy for working class people. They're so smart. Mm -hmm. It's so true. They see it every day and it wakes up a piece of their brain that should be working all the time and is drained out of use mm-hmm. by the capitalists. Yep. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. You know, Marx and Lenin aren't teaching because they're lecturing, because they're smarter. They're seeing yeah. the same thing, and they've had the time to think about it, that you you would be writing these books if you weren't droning on 60 hours a week flipping between, you know, fast food and retail, part-time, and Uber. Yeah. You know, you'd be doing this if you had the time to sit down and be a philosopher. You would be this smart. And they're waking up that part of your brain that you've had all along, and they're they're teaching it what it should know, what, what you realize every day with your experiences, and that way it can mobilize you. 
and it can make something happen. And just to be clear, this is not if you labor for a living, you are dumber than someone that is a philosopher for a living. It doesn't, it's not, there is labor that is enti- that is incredibly, and Marx is not talking about that. This is, not a, this is not me trying to apologize for Marx. He's not saying that if you labor, you are dumb. It is when you, str- the more autonomy and the more intellectual intensity and the more the more complexity of a job that you strip away the further and further you get it to flip the switch on flip the switch off push the button i do my part in the line the the further you get towards that simplicity the less and less your 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 brain is going to want to engage in these kind of pursuits the less and less you're going to be capable of doing that and maintaining any semblance of sanity well yeah i mean your brain your brain is a muscle and it needs exercise and what's sad is capitalists commodify everything and they've commodified the fact that the very work they put you through to profit Mm -hmm. is turning off the brain exercise you should be using and they'll actually have like apps out there like brain teasers to make you smarter because and they'll tell you the brain is a muscle in these exercises you know download this app for $1.99 for quirky cool like neato quizzes and puzzles and stuff like that there's a reason that shit works (laughs) they're sapping your brain exercise away from you You and know. there's a reason big budget box office movies are dumb, seem dumb and seem kind of on their face, easy to digest. And that's because there's a large group of people that need something dumb and easy to digest. And that's not saying that there's, there's you know, a, you, you can watch some highfalutin bullshit foreign film and be better. It's just at a certain point. The system is designed to break you. It's designed to break you. And that's what, again, in one very condensed paragraph where he's essentially quoting Adam Smith. Yeah. Should highlight everything that is fucked up and wrong with this system. Because like, capitalists have known this from the start. They've known it's true. And they ex- even in their ideology. And they, ex- they exploit it. And they built their system on it. Every yeah. point of the system is built to rely on it. Yeah, and that's where, you know, I mean, you have normal man's conversations, right? Yes. We'll cuss a lot. We'll talk in shorter words. We'll use economy of language. We'll do these things. And we won't use these bullshit terms, you yeah. know? It's it's because that's what we're used to every day. That's the way yeah. we handle conversation. Yes. You know, we're not out there trying to exercise our minds. We're out there trying to function yes. every day, survive, eat, socialize any way we still can with our alienated yes. labor. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, but that's, that's why a lot of this stuff goes well. There's three flaws. With because capitalists will make this argument that oh, the dumber people and they'll make it to say like you know poor people deserve to 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 be poor as the dumber people are poor. Well, there's three flaws with that. One, they're measuring intelligence based on societal normity, and normity is going to happen more often if you're more in tune with like the big social events when you have more free time when you're richer. So they're not yep. actually measuring intelligence. Okay. Secondly, they get to exercise their brain. They're the ones that sap you from it. Yeah. That fun twenty four hours, you know, there it's the same twenty four hours for everybody. Bullshit. Yeah. Uh huh. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. it's the same thing. Uh-huh. You know. And and the third thing is they're ignoring the intelligence you have because they're just quizzing you on a subset of things. They're not discussing your social understandings, things like that. You know, you go to a socialist meeting for any organization. You know, PSL, World Worker Party. I mean, even DSA stuff. Although I. Yeah. You know, worry a little bit about that. There, yeah. There's some communists in there, and they do good work, but the organization as a whole is, yeah. is not centralized, and that's an issue. Um, but even there, you know, I mean, you're going to realize all the intelligent people. 
Not intelligent and, in a way that you can make money off of. Yeah. <laughs> they're not and, intelligent in a way that you can easily exploit into doing what you need. And they're not going to be because no. that's not what their brain is trained to do. Their brain is trained to do thing A, thing B, move on. Thing yep. A, thing B, move on. And, it, I mean, it really gets into your brain. I remember when I was working fast food, losing sleep a bunch of nights, I would, like, in the middle of, of tired conversation, just say my drive through spiel. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then be like, well, you know, it, it, I was surprised I didn't do that more when I was with AT&T, but I was getting more sleep, thank God. Yeah. You'll answer phones and, and route, you know, immediately regurgitate a line that you said a billion times on a phone one time. It just, it, yeah. it happens and it's not, it's not unintentional. It is, it is by design. Yeah. I mean, you're in the machine. Um, later on, you know, he talks about the fact that um, your body and your mind are inseparable and they're the points of your life. And he says, to subdivide a man is to execute him. Mm-hmm. If he deserves the sentence, to assassinate him if he does not. The subdivision of labor is the assassination of people. Now, that's a brutal... That's brutal another one. really good one. That's another yeah. very good... That's more, that's more more like esoteric and fun and like a, ooh, Oscar Wilde kind of quip. But, uh, <laughs> it, the other one, but, but it's still good. It is still very accurate. Yeah. That, that sounds like something, uh, some liberal theorist would say uh-huh. to try to claim that you should be able to exploit other people uh, but Marx is really turning that on its face. He's saying no because you're exploited you don't get this freedom that liberalism claims to give to everyone. It's literally killing you uh-huh. and it's it's important because then it talks about essentially sovereignty and it does it at an individual level and individuality is great individualism's bad. We're kind of learning that through this book yeah. uh, and they are distinct. So I don't want to like push this as an individualist, but it kind of gives you an idea that we'll move on later on a socialist about the sovereignty of nations. You know, I mean, you can have an idea of what socialism is and nations should progress to that. But the most important thing is sovereignty of nations because people know what's best for themselves when they have the time to think about it, when they're not fully coerced under someone's boot. Yep. Um, then he goes on a little bit. He says, Although the splitting up of handicrafts lowers the cost of forming the workman and thereby lowers his value, yet for the more difficult detail work, a longer apprenticeship is necessary. And even where it would be superfluous is jealousy insisted upon the workmen. In England, for instance, we find the laws of apprenticeship with their seven years probation in full force down the end of the manufacturing period, and they are not thrown on one side till the advent of modern history. Since handicraft skill is the foundation of manufacture, and since the mechanism manufacture as a whole possesses no framework apart from the laborers themselves, capital is constantly compelled to wrestle with the insubordination of the workmen. By the infirmary of human nature, says friend Yuri, it happens to be the more skillful the workman, the more self-willed and intractable he is apt to become, and of course the less fit a component to a mechanical system in which he may do the great damage to the whole. So again, yeah. You think you are not useful. You you have opinions. You are not useful. You, the the more the more you can see the full picture, and the more you can put it together yourself, and realize how little you need the capitalist, other than the things he is completely withholding from you. The more like less likely you're going to be to uh, to you know keep everything peaceful and. and Copacetic yeah. in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, the, here's the thing: is the system makes you not realize your own value because you don't have it as leverage because you've lost it as leverage. You'll see people getting contracts with the city, and be like, "Why did the city pay a hundred thousand dollars to have a programmer do this for a year?" Well, that's pretty standard price for a programmer to do a contract because you know they can demand a lot with their skill, and then they're going to have health insurance, da da da, right? So 
they're going to make a bunch of fucking money. Well, that's because a programmer knows their skill, their confidence in it. They have that negotiating leverage. You have every bit the value. Without you, that capitalist can't do shit. You mean every bit, if not more, than that programmer. But you don't have the leverage because you're more replaceable because of the skill set. So you only have that leverage when you collect together, you know, maybe like a labor union. But um, that, that's exactly it. So more skilled people know their value and they have the leverage to exercise that. Less skilled people don't know their value and unless they collectivize, they don't even if they know their value, they don't have the leverage to exercise it. And that's why it's important for us, again, to kick on that part of the brain that you're smart enough to have. And you know these things. That's why everything makes so much sense. And you're like, why is this such a revelation for people? Marx is saying things I already know. It's pulling the words out of your head that were always there and putting them into a coherent thought with a part of your brain that's been put to sleep by capitalists and saying, work together, collectivize, use this power, seize these means of production. You're the force of all the value. Okay, they explain this shit in a bug's life, for God's sake. They really do, and they do a <laughs> damn good job of it. I didn't realize how I'm surprised. socialist that film was. They snuck that one past Disney. I, yeah, I'm surprised Disney put they that They snuck that shit <laughs> right past Disney. So. Um, and that's really all I've got for chapter 15, or for chapter 14. 14. Oh, uh, yeah, I was about to say, no. 15's a biggie. <laughs> it's a coming, guys. It's so, a coming. 15's probably the biggest chapter in the entire book. Um, Dad's so, got to go to Vegas to absorb it. Yeah. So, uh, and and there'll be some charts and things. So. Oh God! Make no. sure you have your book. No. With you. Make sure you have. I'll your book have with you. the book. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, this has been Mark's Madness. <laughs> I never gets old. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, it was good. Thank you, Spencer. Right. Shout out for title. Thanks. Yes. Bye. All right, bye.